What a privilege. Anytime you get to stand and declare the word of God, it's a, it's a good thing. But to be able to do it on Memorial Day, it's more better. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy, for thinking of me so kindly those months ago. I was kind of wondering, you know, you get to spend four weeks in chapter eight. And I got 20 minutes for chapter nine. <laughs> then I got looking at it, and it's taken me four weeks to get it down to just two hours. <laughs> so that's all right. You'll want to have your scriptures open to chapter nine and then be ready to move back and forth to some other scriptures. <clears throat> the chapter is long. Uh, it's unique. And the best way to understand it is to go to the end of the Gospel of John. So you might go there with me first. Look at John chapter 20. And consider with me the, verse, the last two verses of John chapter 20. This really is the setup for chapter 9. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Scholars have spent their lives studying the Bible and the Johannine scholars, those that work on John's literature, the Gospels, the Three Letters, and the Apocalypse, uh, are very smart folks. And they've divided traditionally the book of John into three large sections, the prologue, which is chapter 1, then another section called the book of signs, which is chapters 2 through 12. Then they have the book of glory, which is chapter 13 through 20, and then the epilogue. The reason they choose that section, the book of signs, is because nowhere in the gospel record of John does John ever use the word miracle, dunamis, in the Greek, from which we get our word dynamite. Instead, God, use, uh, God uses through John the word simonian, which is a sign perfectly pointing to and including God. It is a sign that is contrary to the normal course of nature that could not otherwise be performed except that God, who owns nature, makes it so. And so John was very careful as he went through his experience with Jesus and the Holy Spirit brought to mind the things he ought to record for our growth and our faith to understand what he was writing down and putting down for you and I as things that weren't just miraculous, but were signs pointing to the very purpose of his book, that we might see Jesus and know and come to believe that he is the Son of God. So when you come to John chapter 9, that's the background, that's the back story. That's why a lot of things are left out and a whole lot of other things you wouldn't expect appear. This is the only narrative of its kind in all of the Gospels. It's a strange miracle, a sign, because nobody asked for it. In fact, nobody thought it should even happen. 
including Jesus' disciples. Even the man who gained his sight didn't ask. Why is it in here? It's a sign. It's not about the miracle. It's about the miracle. It only gets a half a verse out of 41 verses. He went, he washed, he sees. That's all it says. Well, almost tempted to go, yeah, okay, big deal. Whoops. 41 verses for he he went, he washed, he sees. That's a big deal. So let's have fun looking at it, see what happens. I'm going to organize this two-hour message into three sections. What this event, what this sign says about God then what the sign says about faith, and then finally, what the sign says about foolishness and the work of the devil. It's all in there. It's all the point. So, I'm not going to do a lot of detailed work. I'm going to rely on you to kind of work on that at home or figure it out or read along while I'm talking because you're going to tune in and out every now and then. I know I sit out there, so it's okay. But I want us to begin with God because if you begin in any other place, you're off center. Every question in life, every issue in life, everything of meaning that endures in life must begin with the author of life, God Almighty, in order to reconstruct it, in order to make it make sense, in order to have a vision for what to do next. And that's part of the problem when it's not done, as recorded here in the gospel. I'll come back to that theme in a minute. But I want us to start with verse 1, as, as was so well read this morning, of chapter 9. As he passed by... He saw a man blind from birth. It's only 11 words, seven in the Greek if you read it. That sets up the whole chapter. That's the whole point. Turn with me if you can to Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of those books you always forget about. Hosea. It's on page 1,263 in my Bible. It's right here. And find chapter 11. In Hosea 11, I'm going to read in verse 3 and 4, or just 3, and then I'm going to go to 8 and 9. Here's what the word of the Lord says. God is speaking to Hosea the prophet. He said, yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. I bent down and I fed them. In verse 8. Oh, how can I give you up, Ephraim? Oh, how can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? 
My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God, not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. What does that got to do with John? Maybe you didn't catch it. And Jesus passed by, and Jesus saw a man blind from birth. There's the good news, friends. Jesus sees us. Jesus saw that man. It's even more spectacular if you want to consider the conditions under which this happened. Chapter 8 leaves us wondering how Jesus is going to get away because his life is threatened. They're picking up stones to kill him, and it says he hid himself and got away from the crowd. And then the very next verse says, and as he passed by. What? Are we talking about like maybe 10 minutes later, Jesus is fleeing for his life from the temple, and he happens to notice a blind man? I've been in some pretty ugly situations where my life has been threatened and I'm telling you, I ain't looking for blind people. And I sure, if I found one, wouldn't stop and ask him something or do something for him. I'd just probably kick him out of the way and keep on moving. I'm in trouble. I am God, not man. I am the Holy One in your midst. We may always be grateful that we have a God who sees us. He's not too busy. He's not too active. He's not too overtaken by other events. He is our Father. And He watches His kids. That's good news. Some might even say that'll preach. Whoa! I'm subject to short bursts of enthusiasm, so you'll have to forgive me. For, yeah, yeah. All right. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verse 35 and 36. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and seeing the people. He felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Mark chapter 6. Jesus said to his disciples, come on, let's go away by ourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. In verse 33 of Mark chapter 6, But the people saw them going, and they recognized them, and so they ran together on foot from all of the cities and got there before they arrived. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And he began to teach them many things. Very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is walking around, and a leper came to Jesus in verse 40, beseeching him, begging him, falling on his knees before Jesus, and said, Lord, if you're willing, I can be clean. Would you be willing? Would you be willing? Greek gives us the sense that he never stopped. Jesus had to interrupt his begging. Would you be willing? Would you make me clean? Would you, would you, would you? I will that you be cleaned, Jesus said, because he was moved with compassion. He wasn't bugged. He wasn't bothered. He wasn't tired of hearing the petition. God never gets worn out with you or me. God sees us. Mm, as we are, and he loves us as we are. If you're here today, for some reason you are feeling overlooked by God, for some reason prayers aren't being answered, faith doesn't seem to be as real as it used to be, there are other things competing for your spiritual interest, you're distracted, and you think God doesn't care, I'm telling you, he does. It's the record of his scripture. It's the sign John doesn't want us to miss. The Holy One is in our midst. And by his own admission in Exodus, as he describes himself, he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease, says Lamentations, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, John, for making us stop here at the start and remember how well we are watched and how carefully we are loved by God. The great thing about this sign is that you don't have to see it coming. Blind man didn't know where Jesus was. He's blind. Nobody asked him to stop. Jesus was just passing by and he noticed. God doesn't depend on our perspective to act. He doesn't require our version of himself to be the savior of the world. God sees you and me as we are, and he will not pass by because his love won't let us go. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When I consider the stars and the moon and the heavens and the things that you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and put him in charge of all of creation. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Psalm 139 tells us, you know my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my paths. You know my going in and my coming out. Before there was a word on my tongue, O Lord, you know it. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Such knowledge is too good. It is too high. I can't grasp it, says the psalmist. 
<laughs> Did you know you were loved like that? You are. It's a good sign. Verse 6 of chapter 9 says, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay and applied the clay to his eyes. That's gross. And I've been in the Middle East. I've been out there in, in the hotness, and I can tell you in the summertime, which is all year, uh, the, the ground turns into, into dust. It really, it's like walking on, on, uh, on dust clouds. I mean, every time you walk, there's this little, it's like pig pen. There's a little poof up under, under your feet all the time. You can't get anything wet. And if you're going to make mud, the only way you're going to be able to do it is whatever water you have available, and that would be whatever you're carrying on you. But what's more fascinating is that these guys that have, do this kind of stuff for a living that research things, they've come across the medical journals of Rome in the first century in Jesus' day and of Pliny, one of the scientific journalists of the first century, and come to find out, don't you know, spittle was considered a curative agent in the medical community. Listen. It was used as a preservative against snake bite, as a protection against epilepsy. It was used as a cure for skin rash. It was used to soothe a joint neck pain. Best of all, it was used to ward off witches. Here's the point. God's love, big as it is, Powerful as it is, unstoppable as it is, is always gentle. You see, he used the customs of the time in that blind man's day to apply his touch. God enters into our routines, not to reduce himself to our level but to touch us at our level so he can lead us to his miracles. It's not a blow your doors off kind of love. I'm in charge, get used to it. It's a love that is willing to stop on a hot Palestinian day when your life is in jeopardy to a guy that never saw you coming and would never know you were there and to apply what he could understand and know from the touch, a cure to an incurable problem. What a God we have. Did you know he could reach into your life like that? That he'll take the routines of whatever it is you're facing day to day and he will transform them by his gentle love and hand them back to you and say, now, let's get to work. That's the last thing we'll look at about what God does in this sign is he seeks obedience. He's not demanding it. He's not pounding the desk. He's not saying, I'm in charge, you're not. Do it! I've worked with commanders that do that, but that's not God. God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God said, come now, let's, 
Let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be like wool. The psalmist says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him because he knows our frame and he remembers that we're just dust. (laughs) Go wash, Jesus said, in the pool of Siloam. You got to love the irony. Pool of Siloam was built long time ago. It's 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 a rock cistern. It actually exists in old Jerusalem. It's fed by the spring of Gihon out of the Kidron Valley. And when Hezekiah was reigning and Jerusalem was in trouble by the attacking armies of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria in 700 BC, Hezekiah said, I got to figure out a way to keep from getting cut off because one of the things the Assyrians would do, they'd taken down 42 cities before they'd gotten to Jerusalem. And one of their key tactics was they would ring the city, isolate it, cut off its water supply so the people were pretty destitute and worn out by the time they breached the city walls. Hezekiah saw it coming, so I'm going to fix that. And he built a tunnel. It's in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 20, if you want to read about it. It's an amazing story. The tunnel still exists today. It was excavated and found in 1838. And it runs the water from the Kidron Valley 150 feet underground into the pool of Siloam. The actual word Siloam means sent. It means the water that was sent from its source to Jerusalem. So they call it the pool of scent. It's an aqueduct underneath. Tremendous piece of engineering. 560 yards long, 1,749 feet. It's about the same distance if you went out to parking lot and went east and you were walking down to, to Psalms Golf Course, about where the swimming pool is. That's about where the Pool of Siloam would be if we were in the temple right now. But you got to love the irony because God knows what we're going to do with faith, you see. And he knows how much we're going to need it. So he tells this guy, hey, go, go wash in the pool of scent. Can you imagine the self-talk that's going through his head? I can. It's kind of fun. A little bit of humor, if you don't mind. What a mess. What, what's the deal? I don't even know you. What, what's your name? Jesus. What'd you do that for? Hey, go wash in the pool. Well, you bet I'm going to wash. I ain't going to keep this on all day. You're crazy. Man, I'm going to go wash. How do you get there? Somebody give me a hand. Get me down to the pool. Somebody does. While I'm on the way, I'm thinking, this is, this is, this is broke. How silly is it? I'm going down to wash something off I didn't ask for, and I'm, I'm being sent down there to the, to the pool of scent. Well, that's kind of crazy. Then when I come back seeing, boy, do I have a story. You won't believe this. Believe what? Well, first of all, how come you're looking at me like that? Because I can see. Could you see before? No. How did that happen? I got to tell you. I was just sitting there minding my own biz, and suddenly somebody came by, and uh, he said, put some stuff on my face, a bunch of nasty 
gritty old mud. You know what that's like in the hot summertime. He said, go wash in the pool called Scent. So he sent me down there, and as I'm going, I'm thinking, hmm, this is pretty cool. I'm getting sent down to go to go do something, and I, and, I, and I did it, and I came back, and I was sent back to come up here, and now I'm sent to you to go tell everybody else that God sent me to tell you that I've been to the pool of Scent and got my eyes. See how it works out? God's good. He's got a sense of humor. He has to. He knows what he's dealing with. (laughs) So God sees us. Jesus saw the man. God gently enters into our routines to lead us to his miracles. Jesus supplied the clay that the man could understand was useful. God seeks obedience because he knows that we need faith to make life real. And Jesus said, go wash, because obedience is, in fact, the overture of life. It is the signature across a soul that confirms our heart's affidavit that we have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light, a people of God, his own possession, so that we may proclaim, as Second Peter tells us, or First Peter tells us, the excellencies of him who has called us. Well, I just about shot all my time, and that's just the first point. I'm going to go faster, so listen quicker. What does this sign tell us about the work of faith? That tells us, tells us six things, but I'm only going to use three, all right? Faith is a purchase we make on God's love. Did you get that? Faith is a purchase that we make on God's love. We never own faith. We are only renting. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of faith. It also tells us it is impossible without faith to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We must come to faith. And on one of the best ironies of all in John chapter 9, how do you come to faith? You follow a blind man. Isn't that interesting? The blind man had to buy in to Jesus' words. He had to decide what risks he was willing to take on a conclusion that he didn't, wasn't sure about. So do we. We don't know why he went. Somehow, God impressed on him through the person of Jesus that he needed to change his life. And somehow, that impression was strong enough to get him to go up and go down and wash. Here's why God told him to go wash. I mean, he could have just said, see, and he would have seen. It's like he touched the leper. He could have done that. That was easy. God can do anything. Why did he go through all this business of spittle and clay and putting it on your face and then letting the guy take a big risk blind walking down to a pool that was at least 700 meters away from where we think Jesus probably was. Why do that to the dude? Why not just go, you're right, be healed? Let me tell you, clay feels gritty when it's on you. Dry dirt on skin is is restrictive. It's itchy. I 
remember sweat lines uh, on various body parts, on my face, on my hands, after I was full of Mideast dust. And this looked like a road map, just little lines all over the place. And you could feel it. Every time you moved, it sounded like your body was cracking. It's very uncomfortable to be dirty in a hot place. And you're aware of it all the time. That's the point. Jesus needed this man to come to grips with his blindness in a way he'd never come to grips with it before. He had to be uncomfortable enough in his soul to want to have a different life. That's where faith begins. To be touched by God means to become uncomfortable because he's the Holy One in our midst. And to go wash means to act on that sense of itchiness in the soul. To do what God has compelled us to do. To take him at his word. And to follow him in faith. The man needed to learn that for himself. That's why Jesus said, go wash in the pool. Why did he need to learn it? Because he's going to have to depend on that experience the rest of his life. Faith builds experience. Experience defines life. Scripture record tells us in chapter 9, verses 9, 11, 15, 25, 33, that he had to defend what he did time and time and time again. He had to re-explain and re-explain and re-explain his life change. He was born blind. Now he sees. What's up? Nobody wanted to play along. Everybody thought it was impossible. Some thought he was an imposter. It got ridiculous. The accusations were going back and forth. The only way you can withstand that kind of pressure is you've had the experience of faith. You know God works. He did it in me. You know God works like that today? Have you been on an adventure with God's tasking? If you haven't, it's a good place to start. It's a sign. Well, got to get to the end. Some of you have been waiting for it. Here it is. The Bible explains faith in five major words. It calls it confidence, assurance, conviction, evidence, and hope. These are terms that are cemented to the heart by the soul's steady application of the love of God. Faith doesn't defy logic. It's just not defined by it. Faith is about a relationship with God. It's not unreasonable. It just goes beyond reason to relationship. The man born blind could only attest to the power of God in his life. He couldn't explain it all. He didn't know why he got picked. He didn't know why it made sense. In fact, the disciples told Jesus he was beyond help. Who sinned? This guy? <laughs> as far as he knew, he was living under the wrath of God. Till God changed his mind. 
The only thing that that poor blind man knew was the great verse that has become immortal in chapter 20, uh, verse 25. This I do know. Once I was blind, now I can see. The beauty of faith is you don't have to have it all figured out. That's why it's faith. It'd be logic otherwise who needs it. Faith is a trust in the love of God that won't quit. It is an unrelenting giving of ourselves to God's hand. Come what may, take the chances as they come. Just live differently and see what happens. And there'll be plenty happening. Faith provides that steady anchor for the soul that's essential under fire. Isaiah 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So faith is a gift of God. It's our down payment on his love. Faith is never a wasted effort. It grows to new revelation. Faith is always our responsibility, though it is God's gift. And it's a sure and steady source of stability. So what's the devil got to say about it? Because you know the devil is provoked about faith. If you didn't know that, he is. Jesus described the devil as a father of lies, a murderer. It's impossible for the devil to have a good idea. It's impossible for the devil, Jesus says in John 8, to stand in truth. He can't do it. So he's going to take everything that's real in your life, the truth of God in your life, and he's going to do his best to distort it to the point that he gets you to unbelieve what you know you can't release. It doesn't bother him at all how messed up that makes you, how poor you feel. In fact, the poorer the better. He's a father of lies. This man born blind came up against it pretty quickly. As soon as he came back, his own neighbors said, what are you doing? How come you're seeing? Oh, never mind, that isn't you. Mistaken identity. Greek says in, the, in one of the tenses, he says, he had to keep on saying, no, 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 it's me. I'm the one, I'm the one. Can you imagine having to continually convince people who know you that you are who you are? I really am me, Scott. It's me. It really is me. Really. Believe me. And then for everybody who finally agreed that it was him to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this for you. We're going to take you to court. We want you to prove in court that you are who you told us you are. So they drag him into the Pharisees, the court at the time. And the Pharisees say, ain't no way. Well, I, I, I don't believe you. Never mind. Forget it. Someone said, well, he was born blind. Okay, get his parents. Bring his parents in here. Let's see. Hey, is this your son? Uh-huh. Was he born blind? Uh-huh. How come he sees? I don't know. They pulled the toddler trick, you know. Who did that? I don't know. They don't want to get caught. Their faith isn't developed at all. They're afraid like the Pharisees that if God can change somebody that might mean they'd have to change. No, I'm not ready for that. I'm in charge. I ain't changing. 
Bring him back in. Look, your parents said you were born blind. I was. Your, your neighbors say they lived with you, saw you as a beggar because you're blind all your life. I was. You're seeing now. Yeah. How come you're seeing? I already told you how come I'm seeing. There's a guy named Jesus who's a prophet, who's a sent from God. He changed my life. That can't be. You don't know anything about God. You're a sinner from the beginning. You're too stupid to understand what God can do in your life. You have no education, no training. Get out of here. Be careful. There are consequences to your faith. And the world will not like it. And it won't understand it. Oh, but here's the good news. <laughs> Just where we started is where we end. God sees it all. After he was cast out, after everything that was familiar to him was taken from him, just because he could see he did nothing wrong, God showed back up. He never met Jesus, eyeball to eyeball, but Jesus showed. Say, uh, you think you got room in your heart for God? Who, who do you think the Son of Man is? He'd had enough experience with faith now that he was ready for a spiritual question. Yeah, I, I'm ready. Who is he, Lord? The one you're looking at. Lord, I believe. <laughs> what a glorious day. What a great truth. God sees. There's a couple of Florida teenagers that were enjoying a day off at the beach out of school. They're out for a swim. They found themselves a little bit further out than they expected on Thursday, April 18th at Villano Beach near St. Augustine, Florida. In fact, they were two miles offshore. They were weak. They were tired from fighting the waves for two hours. The 17-year-old soccer player named Tyler Smith told Fox News they started praying to God because they were from Christ Church Academy. They were good students in the word. They knew the truth of faith. And Tyler says, I cried out, if you really do have a plan for us, like, come on, just, just bring something. Tyler held on to his swimmate as he started cramping, and just in time, ship captain Eric Wagner and his crew just suddenly appeared. The captain said, over all the winds and waves and engines, we thought we heard a desperate scream. Wagner told the local station, exhausted and near the end, the boy told me he called out for God's help, and it was then that we showed up. The captain told the Coast Guard, we weren't even supposed to be here. We were, we were on our way from Delray Beach to New Jersey, but we decided to just go out and enjoy the ocean for the day, even though the water was a little rough. When I told the teenager the name of the vessel, the teen just started to cry. The name of the vessel was the Amen. said the young couple was gracious and grateful to us and to God 
In fact, it was all about God. God sees, and he's ready to work a miracle that you never saw coming. Do what he says today. See where it leads. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you are the Holy One in our midst. We couldn't have figured it out. We couldn't sort it out better. We can't even be better without your attending love. Help us this day, O God, as you've shown us your love to respond in the faith that is your gift and reel us in as people who have come out of darkness into your marvelous light. In the name of the light of the world, we pray.